Hallelujah. Bukashem. Glad you are all with us here in person, some of you, some of you sending your uh, holograms to us via online. Bukashem. We'll have that technology. There'll be an app for that. The seat will have like a hologram of the person who's watching online. I say that kind of somewhat joking, but you never know what's going to happen. Baruch Hashem. It was so difficult not to comment while I'm reading the fourth aliyah, Baruch Hashem, amazing. But if you, uh, you can always go back and look at the aliyah day for the fourth aliyah, and I recommend watching them. And sometimes we binge watch shows. You should binge watch all the aliyah days. <laughs> or if you want to listen on podcasts, you can do that. You could binge, binge listen. Yeah. Burkashem. You got to be careful, though, because you get drunk in the spirit. You'll become God intoxicated. Oh. <laughs> Let's say our bracha, shall we? All right. The blessing of the Torah study. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of your Torah. Please, on our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name, study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Oh, man. We are still in the book of Shir Hashirim. Can you believe we're almost finished with it, getting ready to get into uh, the, uh, the Parashah Shemot, which would take us to a new book, the book of Esther. So we're gonna, we are now finding ourselves in the uh, seventh chapter of Shir Hashirim. Baruch Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kirishanu b'mitzavetzivanu al-mikra megillah. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and have commanded us regarding the reading of the Megillah. Amen. The, uh, power, the chapter 7 begins with these words. Chapter 7, 1 through 11, is we're going to be reading now and looking at a few of these verses. The nations have said to me, turn away, turn away from God, O nation whose faith in him is perfect. Turn away, turn away, and we shall choose nobility for you. This sounds like uh, the Hasatan curse be he talking to Yeshua, right? Turn away, turn away. Behold, I reply to them, what can you bestow upon a nation whole in faith to him, commensurate even with the de desert camps encircling? But your footsteps were so lovely when shod in pilgrim sandals, O daughter of nobles, the rounded shafts of your libations, abyss-like trenches, handiwork of the master craftsman, at earth's very center, your Sanhedrin site is an ivory basin of ceaseless flowing teaching. Why does it say the very center? Because Jerusalem is the center of the earth. Your na national center, an indispensable heap of nourishing knowledge hedged about with roses. Your twin sustainers, the tablets of the law, are like two fawns, twins of the gazelle. 
Your altar and temple, erect and stately as an ivory tower, your wise men aflow with springs of complex wisdom at the gate of the many-peopled city. Your face, like a Lebanese tower, looks to your future boundary as far as Damascus. The godly name on your head is as mighty as Carmel. Your crowning braid is royal purple. Your king is bound in Nazaretic tresses. It does say Nazaretic tresses. Do you know that Yosef was called a Nazir? He was, Yosef was called a Nazarene. Uh, anyway, it says, How beautiful and pleasant are you, befitting and pleasures of spiritual love. Such is your state, stature, likened to a towering palm tree. From your teachers flow sustenance like wine-filled clusters. I boast on high that your deeds cause me to ascend on your palm tree. I grasp onto your branches. I beg now your teachers that they may remain like clusters of grapes from which flow strength to your weakened ones and the fragrance of your face like apples. And may your utterance be like the finest wine. I shall heed your plea to uphold my faith before my beloved in love so upright and honest that my slumbering fathers will move their lips in approval. Amen, amen. Verse 11, I'm sorry, I left off a verse. I say to the nations, I am my beloved, and he longs for my perfection. Hallelujah. So yes, what's something I brought down in the Aliyah day, just worth mentioning again, that the Talmud mentions that Yosef did not drink wine until he drank it anew with his brothers. <laughs> and so it refers to him as a Nazir, it refers to him as like a, 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 a Nazarite, right? A Nazarite, right? Right, 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 right. So it's just an amazing, uh, there's so many correlations, but that is not our topic today. Our topic today is Amuna, Baruch Hashem, looking at Amuna, going from a Shunammite to a Shulamite. I want to, before we say that, though, I want to mention something from chapter 6 and verse 11 in Shira Shreen. Just, just a, another example of the mission that God wants us to undertake of bringing in converts, bringing converts, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing, anyway, so it says, that was Yeshai's favorite song. He asked me to sing that. That's very sweet. He's very, you know, he's, Yeshai is, uh, he's very sentimental. You don't know that about him, but. Yeah. And it says here to this verse, as I went down to the nut garden to see the green plants of the valley, to see if the vine had blossomed if the pomegranates had sprouted. And so it says here, I went down to the nut garden, alludes to the reason for the exile. The reason for the exile. One aim was to see the green plants of the valley, which pertain to converts. As the Talmud teaches, the Holy One did not exile the Jewish people except, except that converts should join them. The whole reason for the exile was that converts could be, bring, could be brought in. Is this any wonder then that Yeshua told the disciples to go out to the nations and teach them this gospel? And I, I emphasize this gospel. 
Not the gospel that we're, most people are familiar with, because that's, that gospel is not this gospel. It really isn't. It's not. And it, I don't mean that offensively. It's just, uh, you got to, truth is truth. The sky is blue. Okay? And uh, it doesn't do me any favors to, the, to, you know, tell people it's not. We did, in fact, land on the moon. Okay? Right? Yeah. Menashe was 37 when that happened. No, I'm just kidding. You're right. <laughs> Um, but the point being is, is that <clears throat> it says that the entire reason that we were sent out was to teach this gospel to bring people in. And notice what Yeshua used when he was teaching the men on the road to Emmaus about himself and about what was, what was to happen to the Mashiach. He reached out into his, into his pocket and he pulled out a Gideon's Bible. And uh, he taught from Galatians. He started there, and he, he brought down some Ephesians. And, uh, and he quoted from uh, Romans a couple times, right? And uh, wrapped it all up by the book of Revelation. They all got it, all clicked. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that, that was, uh, that's not true. That's the, that's the other gospel. So this gospel, the, the gospel that he actually, that was where I said that. They're, they're, this gospel, this gospel was... He started with the Torah and the Haftorah to teach about what was supposed to happen to him. Now, this is another example, not to get off track, but this is another example of why he was a Pharisee who followed the oral law. Because everything about the Messiah that those things bring out are not found in the written book. You actually have to go into the commentary on it, the commentary from the rabbis on it. Because you can't teach Messiah from the Torah and the Haftar. Oh! Somebody's saying, I yes you can, Rabbi. No, that's only because your eyes have been opened to the oral covenant or oral a law about it. And yeah, and you are a Pharisee. That's why. But you cannot go to the strict Sola Scriptura and find Messiah there, strictly speaking. That's why there were such people as the Sadducees. Because they made that argument. You had to go beyond the text into the oral understanding of it to really bring it out. This is why people trick, trip up believers sometimes when they say, well, the Bible doesn't actually say virgin there in, in Isaiah. It says young woman. So you have to go to the oral tradition to find out what a young woman was. It's somebody who had never been with a man. <laughs> they are correct, though. There's another word. And, and in English, it's very complicated because when we use other words that mean the same thing as another word, we call that a synonym. And so it used a synonym for virgin, just made it more eloquent. It's like saying, you know, harlot versus lady of the night. See, I would have to say, well, a lady of the night could be anybody. She could work the third shift. She could, but that's not what that means. Right? But I could, play, I could play games, and I could play games, especially if you didn't know the language. <laughs> if you didn't know English, I could play games with you with that. All the while knowing that I'm lying to you. Or I'm not really lying, I'm just not being fully honest. Because the lady of the night is professional. And she's not because she's Rosie the Riveter. Anyway. The... 
These are the giant reeds, it says here, that grow on their own on the banks of rivers. Why does it say that? Because it says that the remarkable thing about the nations is, is that they, they are awakened on their own. God brings them to the conclusion that the Torah is the path. So it says in verse, uh, chapter 7 and verse 1, turn back, turn back. This is the literal translation. Turn back, turn back. Listen, the nations want us to turn back, turn back, turn back. Don't do what you're doing. You ever wonder why you get so much resistance from people? Why are you doing that? Why are you eating that way? Why are you living that way? Why, you know, no one cares about anything else, right? You, you can be in different, different types of faiths, different types of religions, and nobody cares what you're doing. Not one person cares. Nobody cares what the Muslims eat. Nobody cares what Christians eat. Nobody cares what Hindus eat. Nobody cares what Sikhs eat. Nobody cares. But you say you're Jewish and you don't eat pork. It's like, oh, that's, you know that you're going to hell. <laughs> it's true, right? So why do they say that? Because the nations, the, 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 the nations have an inherent drive, a spiritual drive to turn you away from the way, Right? So turn back, turn back, O perfect one. The perfect one is the Shulamite. That's the word that's used here, Shulamite. Not to be confused with the Shunamite, which we're going to talk about the Shunamite woman in a second. This is the Shulamite. And the only difference really between these two words really is the noon versus the Lamed. The noon is like for Naaman, like for faith. When you're Naaman, when you're, when you're a truth, when a God faithful king turns into the Lapid, you become a Shulamite. A perfect one. Turn back, turn back, that we may gaze upon you. What will you see in the perfect one, Shulamite, like a dance of the camps? It says here, interestingly enough, in this, in, in Ma'am Lois's commentary to this verse, we find this. Interestingly enough, there is a reference to the days of the Hasmoneans during Hanukkah that the decrees of the Greeks against them made against their faith. The congregation of Israel responded, What will you see in the Shulamite? What have you seen in my people called Shulamite, which has, has never abandoned its Torah, that you want them to abandon their faith? Can you then do for me what God had done for Jacob when he dispatched camps of angels to welcome him? Can you do a dance for my, on my behalf, that is, as the dance that he had arranged for me at the Red Sea? Can you arrange a dance of rejoicing for the righteous in the future as God will do? So the enemy tries to entice us to turn away from the Torah, but just like in the days of Hanukkah, to this verse, to this verse, we responded to the Greeks, say, listen, can, can you, with the little petty, the little petty honor that you are promised me, is that anything to compare, to compare with what God promised me? You know, this is, the, this is something else, talking because today I want to kind of keep the conversation talking about our amuna, our faith, our, our trust in God. And I want to go and, and look at the story of the Shunammite because she was a woman of great faith. And incidentally, she lived in Shunem. That's where she gets the, they get the name Shunammite. And Shunem is in the territory of Issachar. And Issachar was the territory, was a tribe anyway, I should say, that was prophetic which is, you're going to learn something about that in a second with respect to her, but it was a tribe of the prophetic. They saw things. She saw something that no one else saw, or at least very few people saw. Her husband didn't even see it. 
right? Which is another testament to the Jewish woman. But anyway, so we have here in this time period, we looked at the Greeks and said, there's anything you can do for us, is the, and it's a reminder that the enemy will entice us with, with sin. And whatever sin that is, whether it's a sin of adultery or robbing a bank or whatever, the, whatever the momentary gain is with that sin. And listen, those, those temptations that the Yetzirah puts against us, no matter what it, whatever it is you're be, you happen to be tempted with, those temptations are strong. But here is one way I'm going to submit to you that you can push back and against that temptation, no matter what it is you're being tempted with. And here it is. This is your pushback. Am I willing to give everything because that's what it's going to cost me? For that momentary pleasure, whatever that is, am I, am I willing to give up my reputation, my family, my literal finances, and perhaps even my soul? Am I really willing to cash it all in, put all my chips on that number and roll the dice because that's what it's going to cost me at the end of the day? We think that we might do a little sin here, a little sin there, and it's only going to cost us maybe possibly this or that. But what we don't realize is that it's going to cost us everything. Then you couple that with the fact that you're a Lapid. And you think, well, I'm a Lapid. Maybe, you're, maybe you're, you're, you live in some place where you don't have a lot of community. You're online. You think no one's watching. What you don't realize is there are hundreds, even thousands of people who are watching your every move, and you may not even know their name. And when your light goes out, you cause all their lives to crumble. All their lives to crumble. It's a very, uh, it's a very powerful thing. This is, you know, we, we know, everybody knows very well the apostle that administer, admonished uh, people not to be so quick to be teachers. There's a reason for that, and it has nothing to do with so much with the person who's teaching as it is with the people who are listening. But to get up in front of people and, and to teach them, you better, be, you better know what you're teaching. Because you're leading, you could be leading people right to the gates of Gehenna. And by the way, the sages say that you know, there, it's one thing to, for, for somebody to sin and, and, and be forgiven that. But if you've actually lead people into sin, man, that's a, that's a rough road. If you intentionally do that and you're leading people, mm, that's why you've got to be careful. It says, similarly, the Midrash says, in the future, the Holy One will arrange a dance for the righteous, and he will be in the middle. So when it talks about, listen, are you going to dance like Hashem danced for us? And what this is talking about, it says, this emphasizes that the quality of divine supervision of the Jewish people is directly related to the quality of the return to God. They are to live in accordance with the will of God through faithful observance of the mitzvot and regulate matters between one man and another and, and between man and God. Because in the end, we're going to have the dance, have God dance before us as he danced before us at the Red Sea. And that happened because we were faithful to the mitzvahs. We were faithful to the covenant, at, which at that time was in the Lamb. The mitzvah that we were faithful to that caused God to dance before us was the mitzvah of putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of our house. Putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of our house. And because of that mitzvah, God danced before us. 
we were faithful to the mitzvah because we didn't understand what we were doing. And by the way, slaughtering the lamb, as I mentioned before, the lamb was the quintessential deity in Egypt. So as you can imagine, as slaves taking the lamb in front of all of the Egyptians and slaughtering their god was a very dangerous thing to do. And yet because we took that step of danger and we say we will do and we will hear, because of that, God danced before us. And he literally danced before us. He, there, we formed a circle. The sages talk about this. He got in the middle of the circle and he did a dance before us and we pointed at him and said, this is our God and we will worship him. It says, God says to us, the nations say turn away, but God says to us, turn away from your evil deeds. Turn back from your folly. You will then merit to, to possess prophetic vision. What is the promise of Messiah? That we're going to have prophetic vision. When? When we have prophetic vision. When we turn back to the prophetic, which is the word of God. Don't you understand that the Torah is prophecy? When we study Torah... That becomes our DNA. Turn back, turn back. What is the proper measure of repentance? When the man who has turned back can influence others to turn back, the others look at him and learn to become God-fearing just as a glass that is filled with water will then overflow. Let me say that again. Turn back, turn back. What is the proper measure of repentance? What's the proper measure of repentance? Come to me, all of you who are thirsty, and then out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. You come to get your glass full, but then as a result of filling the glass up, it naturally flows over to fill other glasses up. So it says the proper measure of repentance is that a man, when he turns back, should influence others to turn back. That's how you know that repentance is real. When you're influencing others to return, you know you've returned. And you're returning. Because you're walking up. You're making Aliyah to Jerusalem. You're going up to Jerusalem. Hasasan, on the other hand, says, nope, nope, nope. You, you follow me. You do what I want you to do. Don't listen to what they want you to do. You know, Hasatan Kirsby, he is, is slick and sly. He is, he is something else. He wants us to uh, follow him the entire way. We have to be people of integrity. There's a story here related to this verse talking about the nations are going to see. They're going to see us, and they are going to be inspired to be like us. And by the way, we have to really inspire. And one of the way, we, we inspire in a lot of different ways. But one of the ways is inspired by being loving and by, by being caring, by being polite, right? Nice people. And one of the ways is through this, the, the, uh, the trait of being uh, people of integrity. It says, we, we want to gaze upon you. And this is the commentary. It says, the Raya Israel, the beloved Israel is told, if we see that your conduct is faithful and upright, the honor of God will be served. The Midrash relates a story that Rabbi Shimon ben Shittah once bought a donkey from an Arab, and his disciple found a precious stone on the donkey. When he came to return the stone, the Arab exclaimed, Blessed be the God of Shimon ben Shittah. The integrity of a creature of flesh and blood 
tells you of the integrity of the Holy One. Thus the scripture says, this nation I found for myself that they might tell my praise forever. Isaiah 43, 21. Similarly, it says, this is my God and I will glorify him. Exodus 15, 2. Through his glorious deeds, a person fulfills the mitzvah of glorifying God throughout the world. When men declare, blessed is the God of Israel. We see here uh, uh, the obvious uh, illustration of that story. He bought the donkey, not the, not the stone. It reminds me of another story of a of non-Jewish man who had come to a Jewish merchant and had uh, decided or was thinking about buying uh, some article that the man had in his shop. And so he went home, the non-Jew went home and he thought about it and he said, I think I'm going to go back, I'm going to make the man an offer. So the man comes in and unbeknownst to him because he doesn't understand Jewish custom, the man, the shopkeeper, was concluding the Amidah and he's davening the Amidah and he's just praying silently. So the man walks in and he says, hey, I just wanted to buy that item and he quoted the price that he was going to, to, to offer, which was actually the price that the man had said he wanted for it. So he did not reply. The Jewish man just continued to daven because you're not supposed to interrupt this prayer. And so the non-Jew got nervous and he thought, well, maybe it wasn't good price. So he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll, add, a, I'll add a thousand to it. No answer. <laughs> He's like, okay, all right, uh, uh, 500. I had 500. Now it's 1,500 more than you asked. Listen, I'll pay 1,500 more because I want, I want it. No answer. <laughs> the non-Jew exasperated says, okay, 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 2,000 more, 2,000 more. The man finished, took a step back. And he said, the first price you said is the price you'll pay. The man was astonished. He says, I was talking to God. I couldn't answer you. <laughs> I was on the other line. <laughs> That's integrity, my friends. We also have to be people of humility in order to have true faith. True faith, people of humility. It says, the scriptures say about Abraham, this is from Ma'am Loez's commentary, just bringing down points about this verse he's talking about. It says, the verse speaks of Abraham that in the manner of princes he would always address his, his guests as my Lord. He always addressed his guests as someone higher than him. We actually do this in our society today. We should. Many people do. But we don't even know that we do it. I had one time somebody... It's, unfortunately, this is far too common um, in our world of strange religion. People said to me, because they read the New Testament, they say, we should call no man rabbi. And uh, because of something that Yeshua said, don't, I, my reply to that is uh, twofold. I said, well, do you ever call anybody teacher or father? Because he also said, don't do that. But But with that, but I always mind people, if you're going to be, if you think, if you're going to take language literally, if you think that the Messiah is being literal, which he's not, but if you think he's being literal, then you need to learn 
about the English language. Because I said, do you ever, do you teach your children? I actually had this conversation with this person. I said, do you teach your children to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir? And he said, well, of course. I said, okay. So what you're literally telling, teaching them is to call every man they see my Lord and every woman they see my master. Because that's literally what it means. Sir is from sire, which means my Lord. And the mister or mistress, ma'am, is from master in the old English. Now, I think it's completely appropriate to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. But you should just know that when we say that, we're actually being like Abraham. When you say, good morning, sir, you're actually saying, you're literally saying to that person, my Lord, literally. And when you say, yes, ma'am, you are literally saying, my mistress, my master. And so this is why we say these in the English language and you can imagine, if you believe in call no man rabbi, then you should drop immediately from your vocabulary, sir or ma'am. Clearly, if you are a person in their right thinking, you realize that that's clearly not what Messiah was trying to say. And so there, as a rational person, you, don't, you no longer hold to that uh, anymore. But I just want to point out that we have this statement. The same way that people say, we should use God's name when we greet them. I say, we do. Whenever we say shalom to someone, we are using God's name, literally, which is why, by the way, we say his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Sar Shalom. We say, isn't it interesting that there are a couple of names of God in there? What are you talking about? They're all names of God in there. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Sar Shalom are all names of God. They're all names of God. So I want to read something to you from the Midrash Rabbah to this particular verse. Return, O daughter. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return here. It says, by the way, why, why is Israel called a Shulamite? Let me, let, me, let me read this to you. Because it says here, where'd it go? The congregation of Israel is called Shulamite, the perfect one, because she is perfect. She is perfect in her faith and complete in every virtue and every fine character trait. She is perfect in her faith because she's perfect in every virtue and every fine character trait. Being perfect doesn't mean that you literally make no mistakes. Being perfect is that you hold on to your faith. You hold on to your amuna and you grow in that amuna. So it says here, Rabbi Shemuel bar Bar-Yuda said in the name of Rabbi Hanina, return, return is written four times in here corresponding to the four kingdoms that would subjugate Israel, indicating that Israel would fall into their hands in peace and ultimately emerge returning from them in peace. So we enter the exile in peace, but we will, the end of the story for us will be a story of shalom. So it says the Shulamite is Israel, the nation whom shalom, namely the life giver of the world, that is God, accompanies. What did Yeshua refer to himself? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. It says in here in another place in the commentaries that that, that life, the issue of life, whether someone lives or dies or is resurrected, that is a key that only God holds. 
except when he gives it to the Mashiach, who now holds that key like Yosef held the keys to everything in, in Egypt. You realize that in Egypt, they said to Yo they, the Pharaoh said to Yosef, they came to Pharaoh and said, hey, we're having, he wants us to do this and wants to do that. And he said, go to Pharaoh, go to Yosef. Why? Because the entire issue of famine was in order to drive everything to Yosef. Because Pharaoh said, listen, I have the throne, so I'm above him, but everything, when you talk to him, you're talking to me. Whatever he's telling you is what I'm going to tell you. Incidentally, if you listen to the Ali Adai, you find out that what Yosef was wanting to do was become circumcised, become Jewish. Right? That's a hard sell. We don't want to circumcise. Okay, starve. But you won't be able to eat of my flesh or drink my, unless you have partaken who I am. Right? I'm circumcised. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, the Savior of the world said to people who came to want to eat his bread, he said, well, I'm circumcised. Are you circumcised? They said, no, well, you've you got to be like me in order to eat my bread. Well, we don't want to be like you. Well, then you have no part of me. Don't eat my bread. Well, we need bread. I know. You need the bread of life. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to eat the bread that came from heaven, but in order to do that, you've got to become like me. You've got to become like one who sits on the throne. So you've got to learn to see the, you got to learn to see the insights there, the examples. But I digress. So it says, the Shulamite is the nation among whom the Kohanim place peace every day. Why? Because they speak peace into the nation. You know, this is, we need to learn to be conduits of blessing. And what, this is why um, we, we, during the high holy days and during the 40 days of, of, of um, Juva, we focused on Shimras Halashon. That's a difficult, difficult mitzvah. The hard mitzvah. Because we live in a very negative and cynical world. But we all need to be people who habitually speak peace into our families, speak peace into our synagogue community, speak peace into each other's lives. We need to be people who speak peace just like the priest spoke peace over the congregation, and, and they were actually conduits of blessing. And I know we talked about this before, and Menashe and I uh, talked about this last Monday in the class downtown, that the beautiful thing about being a conduit, we talk about the garden hose gets wet. You've, you've probably heard me mention this before, but just to reiterate, you have a garden, and God wants that garden to be watered, and he has a spigot. And the spigot is the heavenly flow, the windows of heaven. And he wants us to find somebody, find a person that needs something, and find out what they need, and pray for them, and water that garden. So what happens is, is you're now the garden hose. You walk over, and God, God connects you to the spigot, and then he turns on the water, and the water flows through you as you're praying for that person, and they they now receive a blessing because you've been praying for them. But guess what? Whatever you've been praying for them, you're going to receive because that water is getting you wet as it's going to them. This is why we need to speak peace and not, not concur with the enemy and speak death and destruction. 
Speak peace. It's going to be okay. All is well. Shalom and blessing to you. Finances to you. Health to you. Speak peace. Be people who, who practice. Be, be known as somebody who's incredibly optimistic. Everybody wants to be around an optimistic person. Nobody wants to be around a depressed person. No one wants to be around somebody who is speak, who's constantly negative. Right? I'm just saying. My people will dwell in an abode of peace. Rabbi Eliezer uh, Bar Maron said, children of Israel who, who will exist in both this world and the world of, to come. That's what it means when it says that they are complete. They're sholamit, shulamit, meaning that they will exist in this world and they will exist in the world to come. Now, quickly, I want us to read, read this story from the, the Shunammite woman from 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is just a great story, and I think it's wonderful to share it now because the two words are similar, even though they're not exactly the same. Made me think about it anyway. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. It said, it happened one day that Elisha traveled to Shunem, and there was a prominent woman there, and she importuned him to eat a meal, and so it was whenever he passed by, he would turn in there to eat a meal. She was, as it says here, a prominent woman. The commentary brings down that she was very powerful. She was the elite of the elite. She was very wealthy, and yet when she recognized the man of God, she took advantage not advantage, but she took the opportunity to bring him in and be hospitable to him. And she did this, as the sages actually say, before she even realized who he was exactly. But she was simply trying to follow the example of Sarah. So it says, she once said to her husband, and here it comes, how many guys have been in this situation? She once said to her husband, behold, I I." Not now know that he is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. See, before she didn't realize who he was. She just saw a man who needed a place to stay, so she invited him in. And now once she got to know him, she realized, hey, this is a prophet. This is the guy who took the mantle from Elijah. So she says to her husband, the, uh, the back bedroom we have him staying in, hey, that is nothing, no, no, nussa. She said, uh, let us now make a small walled attic and place there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can stay there. She wanted to build him a nice place. He needs a nice, he needs a four-star hotel when he's in Shunem. We can't even stay in that back room, right? It says here, it happened one day that he arrived there and he turned to the attic and lay down there and he said to Gehazi, his attendant, Summon the Shunammite woman. And, and he summoned her, and she stood before him. So it says here in the comments, see if I can see it right quick, that um, it says a Torah scholar is permitted to accept someone's hospitality, but he should try to do something in return. This is why Yeshua says if they invite you in, let your peace remain there. And if they kick you out, then take your peace with you. Right? 
So a Torah scholar, he, he's, he's, he's allowed to, to take her hospitality, but he should try to give her something in return. So he says, summon, summon her. And she stood before him. And the commentary talks about that, that uh, she was a modest woman, so she didn't go into the room. She just stood by the door. And Ghazi was actually between her and, and he so that, that he could inter intermediate the conver conversation. And it says, um, he then said to Gehazi, please say to her, behold, you have undertaken all this exertion on our behalf. What favor can be done for you? Can something be said on your behalf to the king or the army commander? Some comments say that he was saying this because she was a prominent woman and certainly she had governmental affairs. Maybe she was working on some big project and she, he needed to put in a word to the king or the army commander. But others say, no, this happened on Rosh Hashanah. And because he was there, the reason he was there is it was Rosh Hashanah. And what he was really saying is, you're a good woman and you did this for us. I want to speak. I want to be your intermediary between the king who rules over kings, blessed be he. Can I speak to him on your behalf during this Rosh Hashanah? And I want you to see what the woman says. She replied, I dwell among my people. This is what the comments say. The sages say she did not want to be singled out. Because someone who's singled out from the congregation, someone who separates themselves from the congregation, is now judged on their own merit alone. But when with the congregation, God judges them on the merit of the whole. So, so this is, oh man, there's so, many, so much good to bring down from that. You say, I don't know, man, I'm... I wish I could read the Torah like like Hillel and Ahmed. I, I wish I could. I wish I could dive, and I wish I. I wish I knew how to wrap the feeling real good. And and God says that's okay because see, what I do is I take everybody's grade and I average it out. <laughs> Which, by the way, means that we all need to be doing our, our very best. But see, when I get singled out, it's like no, 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 don't don't single me out. Because see, there's some mitzvahs that. And you say, well, wait a minute. The, a woman says, I don't get the rap to feel. That's okay. So you're in the congregation. Yeah. A man says, I don't, I don't get to keep the, 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 the mitzvah of Nidah. Obvious. That's okay. So you got women in the congregation. You see? This is why it's so important not, not to leave the unified whole. Because then you get judged on your own. And she says, I don't, no, don't single me out. I dwell among my people. She says, I, I do all right. Verse 14 says, so he said to Gehazi, what can be done for her? See, this is the other attribute of this, this woman is she, she didn't ask anything. It's because she just wanted to bless the man of God. She wasn't looking for anything. You know, when we give, we give of our time, we give of our resources, so we don't need anything. Certainly we appreciate things, but we don't need anything. So he goes to Gehazi. Gehazi, come on. You, tell me what she needs. New pair of socks. It's Hanukkah. I want to do something for her. <laughs> Gehazi said, actually, she has no child and her husband is old. And he said, summon her. So she had already walked away. Bring her back. Here she comes. So he summoned her and he, she stood in the doorway. And Elisha said, at this season, Rosh Hashanah, 
See, it's a season. It's a moed. At this season next year, you'll be embracing a son. And it says here in the commentary, the reason he said this is because he knew that a Zodok has the power to influence God's decree. A Zodok has the influence. See, this is why Kepha wrote in his letter, he said, Elijah was a man just like us. What? <laughs> a Peter, Peter said, Elijah is a man just like us. Because when we think about Zodok, we often think, about somebody who's absolutely perfect, knows it, knows the Torah upside, one, one down the other. But see, the Zodok is the one who turns to God. The Zodok is the one who loves Yeshua with their whole heart and is doing everything to pursue him. And God says, that Zodok can influence in me. That Zodok can alter the decree. So he says, you'll have a son that, this time next year. And she said, do not, my master... O man of God, do not disappoint your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had told her. The boy grew up, and it happened one day he went to his father, to the reapers. By the way, this child of hers would one day become the prophet Habakkuk. And the reason is because he said you'll embrace a son, and the meaning of Habakkuk is embrace. Says the group, they grew up. It happened one day. See, she took care of a prophet and she gave birth to a prophet. Oh, she cared for the man of God before she even knew he was a man of God. And because of that, God says, you're going to have a man of God. And he's going to have his own book in my Bible. And your story will be in there too. But your son is going to have his own book. Now, she's a proud mama in heaven. You know, she walked around on Hanukkah. My, he's got his own book. Look at we. Oh. Though that, that's a cute picture. He's real cute. Mine's got a book in the Tanakh. She's humble. She's humble. Rebetine's got her Habakkuk. Says the, girl, the boy grew up, and then he went out to the field to see his father and said, My head, my head. And his father said to the attendant, Carry him to his mother. He carried him, brought him to his mother, and he sat in her lap until noon. And then he died. The sages bring down what a great woman she was. Unlike Hagar, who left her son to die, she actually attended to him until he took his final breath. But this is her real faith. After he died, she went up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door behind him, and left. She didn't say, God, why did you let this happen to me? No, nope. she knew what she was doing. She then called her husband and said, please send me one of the attendants and one of the donkeys so I can hurry to the man of God and return. And he said to her, why are you going to him today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. And she replied, it's well, it's okay. She was being a conduit of blessing. It's, 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 it's going to be okay. It's all good. Her son just died, and yet she was speaking life. It is well. Don't, I don't want to, she didn't want to trouble her husband. She didn't, want him, she didn't want to worry him. It's all going to be okay. And she saddled the donkey. She did it herself because she didn't want to trouble her servants. Why, 
ma'am, why are you selling the donkey? Why should I sell? No, she didn't want to say, so she did it herself. She said to her attendant, lead and go, and do not impede me from riding unless I tell you. She sat out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her from afar, she said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, it's a Shunammite woman. Now please run down towards her and say to her, it is, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the boy? See, she, he knew that something was wrong, but Hashem did not reveal to him what was wrong. And so she replied to Gehazi, It is well. She came before the man of God of the mountain and grasped his legs, took hold of him, wouldn't let him go. And Gehazi approached to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her, for her soul is bitter within her, but Hashem has hidden it from me and has not told me. Later says, the commentators say that Gehazi was rebuked for that later for trying to get the woman off. You know, we could take this perfume and sell it and feed a lot more people. That costs too much to use that perfume. That money could be used for something else. Sometimes you do things for God, it's expensive. It says here, She came before the man of God of the mountain and grasped his legs. She said to him, Did I request the son of my master? In other words, did I ask for this? Did I not say, Do not mislead me? And he said to Gehazi, gird your loins, take my staff in your hand and go. And if you meet a man, do not greet him. If a man greets you, do not respond to him. Place my staff upon the lad's face. The reason that he dispatched Gehazi was because he recognized the situation was urgent and it was unbecoming and maybe he was a little bit too old to, to, to actually run himself. So he dispatched Gehazi and it says here, because... An agent of Azotic can be assigned to perform the miracle. And so what happened in Elisha's merit, not in Gehazi's merit, but it would only have happened through a Gehazi if Gehazi would have been worthy enough, which he was not. See, when the, when the disciples came back and said to the master, we rebuked the demon, but he won't come out. And he said, don't you have little faith. This one comes out by prayer and fasting. He wasn't talking about methodology. He was talking about they themselves. You guys need to step up your game. Because you can assign an agent if the agent is worthy, the miracle will happen. This is why Yeshua said, I commission you, go out and heal the sick, cast out demons. I'm assigning you like he assigned Gehazi. And when, when Gehazi got there, nothing happened. It said, that um, it says here that uh, verse 30, the lad's mother said, I swear as Hashem lives and I swear as you live, I will not leave you. So he arose and went after her. By the way, the comments say that the problem with Gehazi is he didn't follow the master's instructions. That on his way, people greeted him and he bragged about the fact that he was on his way to do a great mitzvah and heal the sick and see him recover. Even raise the dead. He bragged about it. God has anointed me. Alicia has anointed me to uh, go raise the dead. So that's why I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I have a healing ministry. And I'm on my way to do it right now. That's what God has anointed me to do. Are you kidding me? Listen, the same oil he put on you yesterday, he can take off today. And you don't, um, 
So the woman said, I'm not going to leave you, though. I didn't come for Gehazi. I came for you. Because it wasn't Gehazi who said to me, behold, in a year you'll hold a son. It was you. See, the promise is from you, God. And I'm not going to let go of you because the promise is, see, if I get failed, if, if, see, see, if, if Gehazi fails me, it's not going to mess up my faith because I don't believe in Gehazi. See, if we're walking along in the, faith of, in, in the, in the life of faith and, and something happens to our, our friend to our left or our friend to our right, see, we're not here for them. So we've got to continue on in the, in the promise. Right? We talk about this a lot. We came, we came to this because Yeshua called us to it. And if we go someplace else and they, they want us to walk away from Yeshua so we can join their party, we've got to say no. Because, we, see, we didn't, we didn't get in this. We didn't take up our crucifixion stake so we could attend a party. So I, don't, I, I know you sent Gehazi, and that's, that's sweet and all that, but I'm not leaving you because you're the one. So it says, Gehazi went ahead of them and placed the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound and nothing was heard. He returned toward Elisha and told him, saying, the lad is not awakened. Elisha came into the house and behold, the lad was dead, laid out on his bed. He entered and shut the door behind him, behind them both, and prayed to Hashem. Then he went up and lay upon the boy, placing his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his palm upon his palm. He stretched out himself over him and warmed the flesh of the boy and withdrew and walked through the house once his way and once that way. He then went up and stretched himself over him. The lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. You know, he, he, was, he understood that life can, comes through imitation, and if I can get this boy to imitate me, do everything I'm doing, feel, lay out on him, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. That's why God said to Moses, he speaks to me mouth, he speaks to me face to face. In Hebrew, it's literally mouth to mouth. We got to be mouth to mouth with God. We got to be intimate with Hashem. And so Elisha called Gehazi and said, summon the Shunammite woman. He summoned her and he came, she came in and he said, pick up your son. She came in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. She then picked up her son and left. And Elisha returned to Gilgal. We got to say all is well. We got to say all is well. One final thing I want to share with us today. It says a Jew is one who approaches the mitzvah observance with the right spirit. It says if a Jew approaches mitzvah observance as a sacrifice, albeit a necessary and worthwhile one, he will be vulnerable to the temptations of the less inhibited society around him. If we look at following God as, as a sacrifice, I'm giving up. I'm taking one for the team. If we look at it like something we got to do, like he's extracting something from us, then we will be subject to the temptations of the nations around us. You say, come on, man. You live in Fort Worth, you've got to drive all the way to Dallas to eat out. Come on. You live someplace where there's no restaurants, like Tulsa. Or like Kansas, our brothers back here and sisters that live in Kansas City, nothing around them. They... Every meal at home, like, come on, that's so inconvenient. No, I'm, 
I'm t- I got to be nailed to the cross. But it says here, a Jew must not say, a Jew must not say it is true that the Torah demands are restrictive and burdensome and will inevitably suck the joy out of my life. It says that in the Midrash Rabbah I'm reading to you from Shir Hashirim. Nevertheless, I will prudently make a sacrifice in this transient world so that I can earn a share in the world to come. I will fly away, oh glory. We're, 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 we've got to suffer here and lack joy and live like we're just miserable. But one day, bless me God, we'll get into the garden. That is a wrong-headed approach to Jewish life, it says. The proper approach is to realize that if one carries out God's will, he will have good fortune and happiness in this world. It says, true, he will have a share in the next world as well, but that's only the principle of the reward. That's the principle. We're living on the dividends down here, friends. We're living on that, we're living on what, what's gained, that interest of those dividends that are, and, and, and bonuses that are coming. The principle is up there, but man, we are enjoying the interest right now. So it says here, the fruits of his labor, that is the fringe benefits, will be his to enjoy during his lifetime in this world. No one ever loses, no one ever loses by keeping the mitzvahs. Only good and blessing result from that and that's not all wait there's more one must also realize that this is not listen to this listen to this this is so important one must also realize that this is not another way to achieve a good life in this world it's the only way it says right here one must realize that those Concierges of physical pleasure who seem to be enjoying their self-indulgent lives are doing no such thing for their character flaws, gnawing envy, insatiable desire, the need for fame, the desire for wealth, the need for approval. All of them have no rest or satisfaction. So when Yeshua says, I'm the only way, Torah is the only way. The Midrash boss says, yep, he's right. It's the only way. Anything outside of him, anything outside of those sapphire tablets, anything outside of Yeshua, the true, the true, the true Messiah. Let me just tell you, friends, that, that one of these days, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to fess that you are Lord to Yeshua. And I said this in the, in, the, in the Aliyah this week. Is that someone says, well, no, 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 no Jews, all the rabbis disagree with you. All the rabbis disagree with you. You're the lone rabbi out there, Rabbi Griffin, <laughs> that says that. Hmm. You're the lone Jew who says he's the king. 
And I say, well, maybe. I think I'm like Manasseh. I'm standing there, and I'm looking at my uncles. And all of them, including my, including my grandfather, all of them agree that this guy they think is a goy behind me is not the king and not the savior of the world. Every one of them are in unison that he's not. They, they believe it so much they sold him into slavery. But I look and I say, you know, he's the savior of the world, right? I'm the only one in this room that knows that. Now, I'm not suggesting to you right now that I'm the only rabbi in the world that understands this. Please don't misunderstand. I'm using an analogy, okay? Because I right now I'm going to get some emails. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that all of those men were wrong about the identity of the one who was called, literally. His name, Zephaniah Panea, means Savior of the world. It literally means that. And they were wrong about it. In the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Why? Because he's the only way. But what do we know? What do we know? Yeah. Uh-huh. 